in 2009, uh, Amanda and I had, had been trying for a child for almost two years, and we still weren't pregnant. So we, we decided to see a fertility specialist, and in February, that, that morning of the very first appointment, Amanda comes in early, and she says, I'm pregnant. And we just couldn't believe it. In fact, we couldn't believe it so much that she went and took two more home pregnancy tests so that we could confirm that, in fact, she was pregnant. And we still didn't believe it. So we called the doctor and said, hey, uh, you know, we've taken three pregnancy tests. And it says that we're pregnant, but we just want to call and and make sure. Should we still come in and and have the the tests run? And they're like, no, if you took three and then that's a pretty good sign that you're pregnant, right? So we're going nuts. And I'm sure our neighbors in the apartments next to us are thinking, what's going on over there at 6 o'clock in the morning? Do we need to call the police or what? Because we were just backflipping, and you want to see, I can do one now, but <laughs> no. We, we just couldn't believe it. But in a few short weeks, uh, on Easter Sunday uh, in April, we, we were in the service, and Amanda got up towards the end of the service and came back, after the service was over and said, Charlie, I, I'm, I'm experiencing some pretty heavy bleeding and, and we're going to need to go to the emergency room. So we spent the entire Easter Sunday in the emergency room. And uh, after our time there, at the end of the day, they came to us after running all these tests and said, uh, we're sorry to tell you this, but there's a hemorrhage. And, and we don't have a whole lot of hope that, that things are going to go well with your pregnancy. We just recommend that you follow up with your regular doctor later this week. And so we immediately called everybody that we could think of. I mean, if, if your phone number was in the church directory or in our cell phone or on Facebook, you were getting a phone call, and we were going to be asking you to pray. And so we did. We prayed. And everybody we knew was praying. And, and later that week when we went back to Amanda's regular doctor, they ran some more tests, they did an ultrasound, and, and the doctor looked at us and said, we don't see any evidence of, of a hemorrhage at all. There's nothing wrong. You're perfectly fine. You're, you're going to be okay. Go home and just relax. Man, we, we couldn't believe that God would allow us to experience such a miracle. But then just a few months later, at about 22, 23 weeks of pregnancy, we went in for a regular checkup, and the doctor was a little concerned and said, you know, the baby's kind of small. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to send you to a specialist, and uh, they'll, they'll be able to figure more out about what's going on. And so we went to the specialist, and, and the specialist ran their tests and determined that the baby wasn't growing because there was a blood clot blocking flow to the baby. And this time, they said there's, there's barely even a slim chance that this child is going to survive. And so again, we, we called everybody that we could think of. We called everybody that we knew. We got on our knees for the next week and a half, and we just prayed, God, spare this child. God, let us have this child. It's been two years. But at the same time, we, we had to pray, God, don't let our child suffer. Don't let our child experience this pain. Lord, we pray, not our will be done, but your will be done. And at 25 weeks, when we went back for the next ultrasound, there was no more heartbeat. Our child was dead. That day Amanda went in and uh, we had to go through a stillbirth delivery. To be honest, I still don't understand. I don't, I don't fully comprehend why 
And, and at the time, I had so many questions about, God, why would you allow us to experience the miracle of healing only for a child to die later? God, why, after two years of trying for a child, would you even allow us to become pregnant if you're just going to take the child away from us? It didn't make any sense, and, and I was left with, with more questions than I had answers. And I'm sure that many of you here this morning have, have a similar story. Maybe it wasn't the loss of a child. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a financial hardship that you went through. I know there are some here who've probably experienced all kinds of, of emotional or physical or sexual abuse. And I know that there, there are some here who've experienced the horrors of war. And these experiences have left you in, in such pain and suffering and you have all these questions about why. This morning, uh, we're going to look at this issue of pain and suffering. But before we do that, I, I just want to, again, just, just say that this is a big topic. This is a really big topic. And there's, there's no way that one sermon or even a year's worth of sermons could, could fully address and answer every single question. And, and I recognize that everyone in here has their own unique experience. And if I don't address your question specifically, I don't want you to feel like that, that your, your questions aren't valid because they are. And if, if you want to get together with me or one of the other leaders or members here at River Rock Bible Church and just talk about your experience, man, we know how much that can help. And we want to be here to just listen. Just listen for you to share your story. But again, this morning, there's, there's no way we could, we could address every single question that there is out there. And the second thing is, is this, that we have to understand that, that God is infinite. And our minds are finite. Some of us a little bit more finite than others. But there's no way that we could fully understand and, and come to a complete understanding of, of what God is thinking and what God is doing through all of this. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.12 tells us that in this life, on this side of heaven, we see things dimly. We don't get the full picture. And so again, if you, if you walk away this morning and there are still questions, I don't want you to feel like, uh, like you've been let down because there are always going to be questions because on this side of heaven... There's just no way we can completely understand. But I do believe that as we look at Scripture, we can come to a little bit better understanding of pain and suffering. And so I want us to begin this morning by looking at the question of why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow pain and suffering? And um, it wasn't long ago that I was in a coffee shop working. And a lady sat next to me, and uh, not right next to me, but near me, and I felt something inside of me saying, you need to talk to her. And so I did. I I'm sure it was awkward for both of us, but I started the conversation. And before long, we're talking about Jesus, the thing that is most important to me in my life. And I'm sharing with her about my faith in Jesus Christ. And, and she's, you know, asking me some questions. And she finds out that I'm a pastor. And, and in the middle of our conversation, she stops me and says, let me ask you this. If God loves me so much, why did he allow me to be sexually abused as a child for 13 years? Where was God in that? Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he stop it? I, I didn't have any answers. What could I possibly say that would, that would satisfy these questions? 
the only thing I could think of to say was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that you experienced that. But I want you to know that, that this didn't happen because God doesn't love you. And, and this didn't happen because God is absent. God is very much present. These things happen because, because man is sinful. And man chooses to sin. So we spent the next half hour talking about the fact that, that pain and suffering exist because sin and free will exist. You know, the very first uh, verse that our children memorized was Genesis 1.31. And we, we, they learned it uh, in Sunday school and they learned the motions that go with it. And it goes like this. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Everybody do that with me. Right? You're going to memorize the verse right here in the middle of the sermon, right? Here we go. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. We know from this verse that, that when God originally created earth and, and man, that it was perfect. In fact, man, we, we see in Genesis that man walked with God daily. Adam and Eve had the chance to walk with God in the garden daily. But then in chapter 3, we, we read that something happened. And we all know what that was, that, that Satan... Uh, the serpent, Satan, comes to Adam and Eve and he, he takes the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he forces it in their mouth and then he works their arm like a nutcracker so they're chomping on it and then he holds their mouth closed and starts massaging their throat like you do to a dog when you're trying to get it to take its medicine until they swallowed, right? That's exactly how it happened. No. No, what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that Satan comes to them and, and he begins to deceive them. He lies to them. He, he gets them to believe his lies that, that well, God didn't really say you were going to die. Well, God didn't really mean that you can't eat from this tree. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he knows that when you eat from it, you'll become like him. You want to be like God, don't you? And the more they listen to his lies, the more they begin to believe them. And so they both, on their own free will, take the fruit and they eat it. And the moment they do, it was like, it's like having a sweater with a, with a thread that's loose. And they just begin to pull at that thread. And it not only unravels their personal relationship with God, causing a separation, it unravels the very fabric of all of creation. And man and all of creation suffer the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. And ever since that time, all of mankind, except for one, Jesus, but all of mankind has chosen to rebel and sin against God. Now, some people want to ask, well, if God knew this was going to happen, couldn't he have just created man without free will? Couldn't he have just made it so that man would always obey what, what God wanted him to do? Well, he, he could have, but, you know, that would be like this baby doll right here. And... Uh, well, just, just listen, you know, what does this doll say? I love you. I love you. It's going to haunt your dreams for the rest of the week. Let's hear it one more time. I love you. I love you. Does this doll really love you? No. 
It's just programmed to say that. God's desire was for a responsive relationship. And if he, if he made it to where we didn't have the ability to say yes or no, then, then when we would respond yes, it would be meaningless. So we had to have that ability to say yes or no to God. The next question someone might ask is, well, if God knew that we were going to say no and he was going to give us that ability, why even create man in the first place? As I look out, I see many of you here this morning are, are parents. And as a parent, before you even had kids, couldn't you foresee the day that your, your children would experience pain, that they would have heartache, that they would suffer somehow, or that when they were teenagers, they would stop off to their room and say, you're ruining my life, I hate you, and slam the door, right? We could all foresee that that day would come, but we chose to have kids anyways. Why? <laughs> That's not a joke, but, <laughs> but why? I'm, some of you are probably still asking that. Why did we? No, because we knew that there was great potential for a deep relationship, for for tremendous love, and for great meaning. And the exact same thing is true for God. He knew that man, that man was going to rebel against him, but he also knew that there was great potential because many, even though they have rebelled, would, would come back, they would choose God, and they would choose to spend eternity with God. And so for him, even though it was going to cost him and his son great pain and great suffering to accomplish man's redemption, in order to restore that relationship, it was worth it for God. And that brings us to God's response to pain and suffering. God's response to pain and suffering is to send his son, Jesus, you don't have to turn there because the, the words are going to be up on, on the screen. But a few, uh, that Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should be the author of their salvation, perfect, through suffering. God was grieved by the pain and suffering that man's choice to sin brought on not just him but the whole world. And it grieved him so much that, that he had to act. And his action was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to, to live a life without sin, to be fully God and fully man so that he could live without sin and die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. Not just so that we can be forgiven and, and know that we have eternity with God, but, but so that we can look forward to a day when sin and its consequences are no more. Revelation uh, 21 says this, 21 verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. Those who place their hope in Jesus Christ have the hope of looking forward to the day when there, there is no more sin, when the consequences and effects of sin are no more. And this is all because God responded to our pain and suffering by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And that brings us to our response to sin. First and foremost, our response to sin ought to be, and I hope this is true for you, I hope your response to sin is that you would choose to place your trust in Jesus Christ. Knowing that not, not only are, are your sins forgiven, but that you have the hope to look forward to a day when there is no more pain and no more suffering. I do want to say that um, there are some people out there that say, oh, if you just trust Jesus, you know, your house will, will multiply by 10, your, your bank account will, will be like you won the Powerball, and, and you'll have the best car, and you'll never get sick ever again, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. And Jesus becomes this lucky rabbit's foot that we carry around in our back pocket. And that's not the case. Because we still live in a fallen world. The only difference is, is yes, we're still going to sin. And yes, we're still going to experience the the consequences of sin and the effects of sin in our life. The difference is that God views us as being without sin because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we have that hope of looking forward to a time when, when there is no more suffering, no more pain. But what do we do in the meantime since we're, we're stuck in these bodies? What do we do when we face pain and suffering? Well, the book of Job is, is a great example of, of how we ought to handle pain and suffering. In the book of Job, we, we read about a man, Job, go figure, but Job has, has a lot of stuff. Man, God has just blessed him greatly. He's got a huge house. He's got lots of herds, lots of wealth. He's got like 10 kids that are all great. He, here's a man who, who loves God and fears God and stays away from evil. Yet one day, Satan has come back from prowling around the earth. And in fact, the word for Satan used in Job is the accuser. So we get this picture of Satan looking throughout the earth to bring someone or something to God, like a little tattletale, like, hey, look, did you, did you notice this over here? I know you see everything because you're omniscient, but I just want to point this out, that this guy over here messed up, just, just so you know. If I'm going down, I'm bringing everybody down with me. And so God, God is in heaven, and Satan comes to him, and he says, hey, you know this, this guy, Job, the only reason he, he loves you and worships you is because you give him all this stuff, because he's got so many kids, And because he's healthy all the time, let me take all that from him. And we'll see what happens to Job. And so God allows it. And within a matter of days, Job's Job's livestock and his wealth are carried away from, from raiders from foreign countries that come in and steal all his stuff. His kids are all having a party in a house. And a a wind comes and blows the house down on top of him and all of his kids are dead. Not only that, but now he's covered in sores and boils. And his only hope is to, to sit in a pile of ash and rub ash on it to hope that it somehow feels a little bit better. And so now, because of his, his skin disease, he's, he's an outcast. But he's got three friends that, that come. And for seven days, his friends just sit with him in silence and nobody says a thing. And then on, on the eighth day, Job vents a little bit of frustration about, man, I, I, don't, I really don't understand why this is happening to me. And his, his friends try to help him out. And two of his friends 
now say, well, Job, you know, the reason these things are happening to you is because, dude, you screwed up somewhere. You, you did something to make God really, really mad, right? You, you, you must have really ticked him off. And, and his other friend says, no, 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 that's not it. Job, you, you should just be thankful, man. You're, you're a dirty worm. You deserve a lot worse than this, right? What a way to cheer somebody up when they're experiencing pain. What good friends, before we, we go any further, I just want to say this. From the book of Job, not only do we learn about our response to, to pain and suffering in our own lives, but we can take this example and learn about when our friends and people close to us are experiencing pain and suffering. You know, when, when Amanda and I lost our child, um, there were people at our church and, and friends and family that all meant well, and they would come to us and they would, they would just say, this is just God's will. Romans 8.28, God works all things for the good of those who love him. And to be perfectly honest with you, it would tick me off. And I felt like I was this close to punching somebody in the face. Right? You think, you think you're going to come and throw a Bible verse at me or throw some spiritual band-aid on things and all of a sudden I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop crying and say, you know what, you're right, let's go get ice cream. Woo! No. No. We can learn from the example of Job's friends who for seven days got it right. We need to learn that, that when someone around us is experiencing pain and suffering, sometimes the best thing we can do is just be there with them. You know the thing that meant the most to me when, I, when we were going through this situation when we lost our child? was my friend Alan came to the hospital and sat with me in a little corner of the hospital. He just came and sat next to me, and he said, Man, this sucks. That's all he said. And then we just sat there. And my heart said, Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Finally, someone gets it. Someone understands. So let's, let's learn from, from Job's friends we don't need to underestimate the power of presence. Yeah, absolutely, there are times when God wants us to say something, but sometimes the way to help someone that's going through pain and suffering is just to be there. Just be there. As we continue looking at the story of Job, we see that, that at times Job, Job had some low points, right? Who wouldn't? He's been through a lot. He's got some low points. Even his own wife... His, his wife, lovely wife, is saying, just curse God and die, right? Well, that's helpful. That's exactly what I want from my spouse. Very supportive, honey. Thank you very much. But what we see from Job is that his confidence in God is never shaken. He is confident in God's sovereignty. He's confident in God's goodness and God's justice. Not only that, but he's confident in the innocence of his own heart that he's done nothing wrong, that it's not like God is doing this to punish him. As oftentimes, it's, it's easy to believe that, oh, well, well, I must be being punished for something that I did, but that's not always the case. And in fact, here's what Job says in chapter 19. Verse 25, even in the midst of his lowest point, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. How my heart yearns within me. Talk about a guy who's, who's got hope. 
a guy who's got confidence in what God is doing. As we, as we think through our response, and as we think about Job's response, we've got to realize that, that as we talked about it in Genesis chapter 3, that the enemy is always there telling us lies. He wants us to believe the lies. And again, from, from our story of losing our child, the lie that Satan wanted me to believe, and I think that he does this a lot when people are experiencing pain and suffering, he wants us to believe that, that no one else understands what you're going through. That this situation that you're going through, no one else has ever been through and no one else could ever understand. And I started to believe that. Even as we had, had people that we knew were praying for us and they would share, you know, we, we lost a child too. Or our child w- was born and then later died. And we're praying for you. But I just found myself getting bitter. You don't know what I've been through. Your situation is completely different than mine. How could you possibly understand how I feel right now? But then God reminded me of, of 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, No temptation or trial, no trial has overtaken you except what is common to man. That verse tells us that no matter what you're going through or, or how different the situation may seem, that there's someone else out there who's been through it. And that we can, we can look to them for comfort and for peace and for help. So don't believe the lies because as, as I believe the lies, what I found myself asking is, is why me? I found myself, I found myself staying bitter And I found myself just stuck lamenting. But what we see with Job is that instead of asking, why me? Job asks, what now? Instead of remaining bitter, Job seeks better. And instead of lamenting, Job looks forward. So when you're faced with with a struggle, with with a trial, you have to ask yourself, am I going to Am I going to continue to ask why me or am I going to ask what now? Will you continue to remain bitter or will you seek better? Will you lament or look forward? These are all questions that that as we're faced with difficult situations, we can ask ourselves and and depending on our answer will help us as as we seek God in all of this. The next thing I, I, I want to talk about is, is that sometimes in pain and suffering, as hard as it, it may be, that there can actually be value in pain and suffering. We can actually experience value from the difficult things that we go through. And I know for a lot of us it's, it's hard, and I'm not saying that this is the case all the time, but uh, I had three, inst- three things that came to my mind immediately, and, and there's a lot more out there, but these three came to my mind um, almost immediately as I thought through this. And, and the first is discipline. And I know this is hard for some to accept. Maybe, uh, maybe for you, you didn't experience uh, appropriate discipline as a child, and so to think about discipline in any way is, is just odd for you. But, but Hebrews twelve six tells us that God disciplines those he loves like a father disciplines his child. Right? We, we have children. Those of you who have children understand that that when you discipline your kids, 
It's because you love them, because you want them to, to help them make better choices. In fact, this, this past week, my wife was at the park with our triplets. They're two and a half years old, so they're kind of experimenting with a little bit of independence. And uh, they, two of them, uh, Charlie and Malachi, took off after a squirrel to, to chase it down. They wanted to pet it. They wanted, any animal they see, they think they can pet it. And so they're running after this squirrel, and they get far enough away that Amanda says, okay, guys, it's time to come back. And they're faced with a choice. I've got this free will. I'm figuring it out. What am I going to do? And they chose to disobey. And as part of that, they, they ended up running into the street. And so they were already going to leave the park early for disobeying, but, but when they continued to disobey, they got home and they ended up having to go through a little pain and suffering on the backside. Right? So, so Amanda's in there and, and she's explaining to them, look, here's, here's what's about to happen. Here's why mommy's going to discipline you. Because you disobeyed. And because you disobeyed, you ran into the street. And when you ran into the street, you could have been squished by a car. Malachi's eyes got like this big because it had never occurred to him. He looked up at a man and he's like, a car could squish me? Like that thought had never crossed his mind. So why do we discipline our kids? It's, it's not because we hate them or we get some sort of sick pleasure out of disciplining our kids. It's, it's tough. Man, I get it. When my dad used to say this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, man, I get it now. I get it. But sometimes God disciplines us. He uses a little bit of pain and suffering to discipline us so that we, in the future, we don't run into the street and get squished by our own pain, get squished by our own sin. The next thing, that value that we can find in pain and suffering is the value of dependence. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is, is, or excuse me, yeah, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, telling them all about his experience and what he's been through, and he's, he's reminding them of his pain and suffering, that he was beaten, that he was in prison, that at one point he was even stoned and left for dead. And this is what he says. He says, all these things happen that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. He delivered us from deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Man, talk about a guy that gets it, that understands that, look, these things didn't happen because I was bad or because I did something wrong, but, but there was a lesson in this. They weren't fun to go through, but there was still a lesson in it. As Amanda and I were, were going through the loss of our child, we, we struggled, and, and we, we found ourselves praying. And what we learned is, is that we had to depend on God to bring about healing and peace. And as we depended on God to bring that healing and that peace, it led us to a point where, where we were able to name our child. When, when our child was born, the body was a little bit deformed and they couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. And so we chose to give, give our child a, a girl's name and a boy's name. And the name that we settled on was, was Eliana Noah. The name Eliana means the Lord answers. And we found great joy in this name because God had answered our prayers. It wasn't exactly what we would have chosen, but we knew that God had answered our prayers. That this child didn't suffer. And that His will was done. 
And the middle name, Noah, means peace or rest. We chose this name not only because we, we are confident that our child is at peace and resting with God right now, but because through this, God brought us great peace. And we have the hope that, that someday our whole family will be able to be united with Elion and Noah before the throne of God. This taught us that no matter what the circumstance, that we can look to God, that we can depend on God's faithfulness and God's justice and God's righteousness to bring us through whatever it is we're going through. Even though we don't fully understand it, we know that we can depend on Him completely. The last value that we see that we can take away from pain and suffering, this third one, is, is that it can give us boldness. In John 15, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's about to go and die and, and that when he's gone, there's going to come a time when, when the world is going to persecute them and hate them. And he doesn't tell them this to, to make them live in fear, but to give them boldness. And he reminds them, don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. Joseph Tan was a pastor in communist Romania. And he was imprisoned under uh, the communist regime there and tortured, sometimes up to 10 hours a day. And one day, one of the communist officials came in and said, Joseph, today we're going to kill you. But first, we're going to torture you so that you'll curse all that you hold sacred. And so they took him out, and they began to torture him. But they couldn't get him to turn. As they tortured him, he just, he just talked to the guards and said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you and for your families, because my prayer is that you would come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that, that you would trust Jesus Christ someday. And he said, I, I also want you to know that, that you may kill me. And I'm okay with that because when you do, the gospel is going to spread even faster because everyone around here is going to wonder, what was it that Joseph was willing to die for? And they're going to start to hear the gospel from other people. They ended up not killing Joseph Tom that day. And this is what he, he says about his experience. He says, The Lord taught me many lessons during those trying hours. Meanwhile, the secret police heard the gospel, and got to see the love of Christ in action. We both came out as better as a result. Jesus taught us long ago that with him, the road down leads up. With him, the path of suffering ends in victory. The road to Calvary does not stop until the resurrection. Here's a guy who, who had boldness who understood that this pain and suffering that he was going through was happening for a purpose and that there was going to be value in it. He chose to respond like Job. Instead of asking, why me? He asks, what now? Even though we, we may never fully understand why God allows us to go through what we go through and, and we may never get all of our answers, uh, the answers to our questions, we know that, that God is not the one who causes our pain and suffering. 
that pain and suffering exist because long ago, man chose to rebel and sin against God. But that, that our sin and rebellion grieved God so much that he responded by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Not just so that our sins can be forgiven, but so that we can look forward to the day when, as Revelation 21 tells us, that we will be in a place where there is no more pain, where there is no more tears, where there's no more suffering, and the, the sin and the effects of sin are completely wiped away. So we just have to ask ourselves, as, as we continue to experience this life and, and the pain and suffering that often comes with it, we've got to ask, how are we going to respond? Will I continue to ask, why me or what now? Will I remain bitter or will I seek better? Will I lament or will I look forward? In fact, at this time, as, as the ushers, uh, servers move to their place, we're going to celebrate something that is an opportunity for us not only to look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but to look forward. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, and, and uh, as we do, I just want to remind you of, of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says that when you do this, when you take Lord's Supper, you proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And so again, it's not just that we're looking back on Christ's death and resurrection, but we are looking forward to the day when he returns.